but I think that people are still haunted by the fact that life has more meaning than what they're told by secularism, that human value is far more high and important than what we're often led to believe. And I don't think people just think life is about the nine to five and living for the weekend and having your drink after your work with buddies or whatever. I think people see through all of that. People are still able to think that there there really is something more than all of what I'm being told. Welcome to Reformed Podmatics a weekly podcast hosted by Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. In each episode, we strive to apply Reformed theology to life and ministry in the 21st century. Thanks for joining us for this week's conversation. Hello, listeners. Welcome to Reformed Podmatics. My name is Pastor Mark. And I'm Pastor Zach. And uh, thanks for joining us for this Advent episode of Reformed Podmatics. Um, things are definitely picking up with mm-hmm. uh, the Christmas spirit here at Almond Valley, where both Zach and I serve. Um, and uh, Zach's got a big Christmas party for youth group tonight. Um, yep. I'm wearing my Ho Ho Homo Usias St. <laughs> Nicholas uh, sweater today, yep. as I always do. And uh, <laughs> I, we've got the Christmas, the children's Christmas program this coming Sunday. Uh, night this past Sunday night was a beautiful evening service with uh, candlelight singing Silent Night to conclude the service, which was mm. a powerful time of worship. And so, uh, hopefully, wherever you are, um, if you're listening to this during the Advent slash Christmas season, you're enjoying some of those worship times too. But if you're listening to this uh, three months from now in uh, March or April, um, you could remember back to the the good worship times that you had during. <laughs> Uh, this special time of year. So today we're going to be talking about how our culture, American culture, thinks of Christianity and how that relates to the Christian approach to our non-believing neighbors. Um, the episode, the idea for the episode came to my mind while I was doing some shopping at a sporting goods store just a few days ago. And um, on the the PA system, of course, they're playing Christmas music right now, and I, I believe it was Joy to the World playing Hmm. and um it it just struck me as it always does this time of year where basically worship music is played in so many stores you know it came upon a midnight clear and um hark the herald angels sing joy to the world silent night um oh come all ye faithful these are standards that you'll hear sung by carrie underwood or some other popular Hmm. artist and um, Michael Bublé, you know, would have versions of those, I would guess. Yeah, uh, probably. And, um, and so, anyways, I'm just shopping and, and hearing these words about how how amazing uh, Christ is, the, the king of of the, the heavens, the king of the earth has, has come into the world, let heaven and nature sing, um, you know, let all the earth receive him. And, and it just struck me that... Um, People are, are probably thinking all kinds of different things about this song. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a sentimental song for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it has maybe a nice message about hope or joy this time of year for people. And so yeah. maybe they're not thinking all that deeply about the theology of the great hymn, but, uh, but they would think more superficially perhaps about the nice message that it has for us. Mm-hmm. And, and I, as I was walking through the racks of the sporting goods store, I, I just thought, 
that kind of represents something about how people view Christianity in general, not just a Christmas song. But um, it, it made me really ask, how are we connecting with that person who has a, a sentimental, uh, maybe maybe a, a generally uh, positive view even towards church as a good mm-hmm. cultural type of thing? Um, how How is the Christian going to break through with the gospel, the life-changing message of Christ, to that person with that understanding of what Christianity is. And so sounds like you had kind of a similar experience. Too, yeah, so. yeah. So Mark and I were talking before we started recording about an experience that I had also while doing some Christmas shopping. My wife and I are Christmas music fans, and so when we drive together in the car, we'll have some Christmas music on the radio, and we were listening to uh, whatever radio station it is. I think it's 102.3 here in our local area where they play it's it's delilah everybody knows delilah and interesting name yeah (laughs) that is uh the music paused and she came on and gave her a little uh as she does her little reflection on the season you know and she's talking about you know you may be spending so much of your time wrapping gifts and lighting all the christmas candles and baking all the gingerbread and you're just so busy going to the christmas programs and pageants and you have all these things going on. You're visiting with your family and friends. But what we really need to remember is that Christmas is a time of joy and of laughter and of visiting your family and your your friends and, and also about a little baby born in a manger on a quiet night. Uh, and she got very sentimental. That's all she said, just about it's, it's also about this little baby born in a manger uh, and that struck me for for several reasons. In some ways, I was happy mm-hmm. to hear that. I was happy to hear that uh, at least Delilah remembers that there is a Christian reason for the Christmas season. We'll you, take what we can get. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like, I, it was kind of like you know, I, I, given that she mentioned all these other things first, I thought that that's where it was going to be left, mm-hmm. and that was all that Christmas is about. It's about happiness and joy and being with your family and friends, uh, those you love, but. To have her mention that was was a, a good thing, but then also, and not to be cynical, it, it was interesting that she just mentions just a little baby, doesn't name him by name, doesn't say that it's a God come to earth for the salvation of humankind. Uh, you know, I'm, I've been reading actually Tim Keller's book, Hidden Christmas, uh, over the last week or so, and I was really struck by a point that he makes in one of the chapters of the book that a lot of times people make Christianity or make Christmas, excuse me, uh, out to be this happy time where we're all just mm-hmm. supposed to be jazzed and excited and everything's good. It's joyful and moving to the crescendo of Christmas. Yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, right. so the, yeah, exactly. And so it's just, you know, wear your Santa hat yep. and have fun and joke around and eat your sweets and, and all of that. And, and you know, I, I love Christmas. I'm one of those kinds of people. I, I really do appreciate it. But he, he points out rightly that, he said, he said something like, Christianity is really, or Christmas, I keep mixing them up, Christmas is not just about those things. And mm-hmm. in fact, actually, Christmas says to the world that everything was wrong. <laughs> there, there was a fall, and there's a reason why God needed to come in Christ. And so Christmas is not just all about happiness and joy and laughter. It's actually about sin and about 
the the state of of humanity and in sin and in fallenness and the the mess of sin. Yeah, the darkness that precedes the light of the world right. come down. Yeah, yeah. and so yeah. he brings light into into the darkness of the fallen world, uh, and so Christianity actually is a sober recognition of. Or Christmas, excuse me. I don't know why I'm making all these slips. Uh, maybe well, we should edit these out, Mark. I don't know. <laughs> People are along for the ride. But it's not just about papering over things. Uh, it's actually a deep recognition of the, the brokenness of the human condition and of the state of the world. And so there are some people who just feel like Christ- Christmas is so fake um, mm. that it, they can't get it. They can't enjoy it you know it just seems like we're we're acting like everything's great for a month um and i get that christmas often is treated like that uh and 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 in a secular world it makes sense that people would want to use a month as an excuse to get excited about something but uh anyways yeah no that well that connects uh, it's it's maybe a Freudian connection of Christmas and Christianity because because <laughs> yeah. that's how people perceive Christianity in general as well, right? Yes, it is that well? Christmas is the season it's where we thing. we uh, go to church and yeah. um, remember this this cute story about shepherds and angels and so yeah. forth, and then the baby's born, and and again um, that that's a yeah maybe maybe a bit of a dismissive attitude towards mm. how people understand the Christmas story in our broader culture, but that also does kind of represent um, people's engagement with the broader Christian message, which mm. is, it looks like uh, the opiate of the masses, maybe, yeah. to a lot of people, yeah. uh, which is what Marx and Engels, of course, called um, religion, um, and Christianity in particular. Mm-hmm. But um, when people have that understanding of what Christianity is, or what Christmas is, um, how how are we as Christians going to engage with that? Hmm. And so the purpose of this episode is yeah. not so much to criticize the culture, but to say, here's how we're perceiving the culture to be, mm-hmm. and what are we going to do about that as mm-hmm. believers in Jesus who know that this world is a dark place where there is sin and suffering, and the light of the world has come so that we might have life in his name and Jesus' name, and and so how are we going to break through that yeah. it's it's a kind of malaise it's like a kind of um um nihilism almost like let's mm-hmm. just do christmas for a, a season and we'll be happy for a little while yeah for the antidepressant that it is yeah, right uh, um yeah and and a lot of people do approach it that way um i recently heard bill maher sort of say you know we'll talk about peace on earth until january 2 and then everything <laughs> will just fall apart again yeah. Yeah. Um, and so obviously that's a defeatist approach but that that is how a lot of people perceive the season of the year and religion in general like if mm-hmm. if um if we truly believe that what the bible says is true of course we have a, a peace that mm-hmm. that abides that lasts through those different seasons of the year and is is really brought out in some new and neat ways during the christmas season um, yeah. But if people don't have that hope, let's not be surprised when they perceive our hope as just being a kind of superficial band-aid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so as I think more about the quote from Delilah, uh, <laughs> I, I, I think that in some ways she was brave to say it, uh, to, to clearly mention the birth of a baby. Of yeah. course, that baby, as everyone listening would have known, was Jesus. And so... Uh, 
yeah, she doesn't over overly, I think, uh, she doesn't bow or kowtow to people uh to what society may want on some sides but she she gives a soft sort of thing and maybe for her that was brave Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe that was a bold move on her part yeah Um, when we were talking about it we said maybe they told delilah under no circumstance will you mention anything christian yeah and that was a brave proclamation that was tactfully and subtly done we don't know and i have no idea about who delilah even is i don't even know her last name um somebody might uh i don't know what she looks like certainly don't know her religious uh, observance or views or if she's a christian or or what what have you uh but i think it is interesting just to think about this this larger question what is the state of christianity in our part of the world today in the western world uh I think that there are several different approaches mm-hmm. and there's several several recent examples that maybe come to mind on on uh, how we think about the place of the, the Christian church in our culture today. And I think one big one, Mark, maybe that you could go into that we've discussed a little bit prior to recording was uh, Mike Johnson mm-hmm. and what's going on in the sort of political realm in our nation right now. Yeah, well, it's, it's a little bit tricky to start with a political example because uh, I I think a lot of what we need to do in the Christian church is to disentangle uh, Christian political preferences from essential Christian dogmas. And so Mm. uh, a lot of times those are wrapped up together and confused, especially by the non-believing culture around us. Um, And so, uh, but I I would say given that disclaimer, Mm. the Mike Johnson reaction and situation is an interesting one it's an an Mm. interesting cultural artifact for how christianity is thought of um yeah again i think it relates to my walking around in the sporting goods store where um joy to the world is a nice sentimental song Hmm. um and and i think that for a lot of people a kind of harmless moderate lukewarm christianity is acceptable in our culture yeah that's a good point Um, and so uh, it's okay to to hear that somebody goes to church. You know, mm-hmm. if you find out a coworker is a Presbyterian or something, and you would say, "Oh, that's that's interesting." And, yeah. How do um, you? I'm curious, Mark. How do people react when you tell them that you're a pastor? People yeah. that you know, you're checking out at the grocery store, or you're getting a haircut somewhere, and you tell your barber, "What's the normal reaction well, that you get?" That that'll kind of prove my point, actually, because hmm. when they yeah. find out I'm a pastor, I think that I'm regarded as kind of a zealot, a super Christian. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm like somebody who is. Uh, really fanatical yeah, about I, this Christianity stuff. I've gotten mixed views or mixed uh, sort of feedback. Yeah, Nobody's ever really given me a, a long, drawn-out response. It's mostly just, <laughs> oh, cool, that's interesting. Or it's like a, oh. Oh, boy. And, yeah. Okay. What's this guy going Sorry I like? asked. Yeah, um, right. Yeah, I've gotten Sitting on both, the kinds of, yeah. uh, <laughs> view, both kinds of responses, yeah. And so I, I think um, to, to the, the point that I was making, I think, is that um, Christianity that's lukewarm yeah. is acceptable. Um, but along comes this guy, Mike Johnson, and he's the mm-hmm. Speaker of the House. And I, I'm not, I don't really need to defend Mike Johnson or, or so forth, but but his beliefs, like in, one example would be that he has um, accountability software on his phone that he mm-hmm. and also put on his 17-year-old son's phone and their accountability partners together for hmm. not viewing pornographic material on their phones. And so um, that was spoken about as he is a, a wacko fundamentalist, hmm. an extremist for doing this 
thing that is not in keeping with the regular way that our society thinks of how we use a phone or how yeah. a dad relates to his son about yeah. matters of sexual ethics and so forth. And, and so, um, hmm. among other things, I mean, he it's was the accused. purity culture. It's so bad that people, yeah. people could probably see it that way. And, uh, and he talked about the, the yeah. influence of the Bible on his, um, understanding of how the political, how the government should function. And, and again, um, a, a Bill Maher quote there is he 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 sees a very fine line he said between Mike Johnson and Al Qaeda, mm-hmm. and that's really interesting to me in terms of although the American government is built upon in many ways <laughs> freedom of religion <laughs> the, and, yeah, yeah these things that even the Bible in many ways yeah, uh, yeah. even though it was often it was deists it was mostly deists I think who kind of formed American political governance uh, yeah. And they were still basing it on the inherited Christian tradition, right? And yeah. and so, he, the, and so it's the, interesting that Mar says that, right? And the and the purpose of of that illustration for our conversation here is that what secular people like like Bill Maher or or whoever would prefer is the mm-hmm. lukewarm Christian who looks absolutely no different than the non-believing person, yeah, and who doesn't do these these weird things like. Well, I have to vote this way because my conscience and my faith de- determines that I that I should do this, even if it's against the whole tide of culture. Yeah. Um, or I'm going to parent in this certain way that seems really weird to mm-hmm. um, more li- libertine sorts of uh, mm-hmm. ways of behaving in a family. And so, um, I, I think that it's an example that I bring up because it shows that when um, you know somebody listening to this podcast, you could be against Mike Johnson or or for him, but what we do clearly see is a guy really striving to to live out his faith in public and that being mm-hmm. regarded as fundamentalist um kind of wacky yeah it's the uh, misinterpretation part that we're really yeah, right. focusing in on here politics themselves yeah i honestly don't know much about mike johnson if yeah. i'm being honest with you i don't keep up maybe as much as i should with day-to-day politics in the united states uh I, I have a single app that I use for news. I don't check it all the time. <laughs> a couple times a week, maybe, just to get the big sort of gist of what's going on. Um, and sometimes I'll listen to the Pour Over podcast, but I haven't been listening to that. So uh, I'm kind of out of touch. So I don't even know Mike Johnson, but what we want to focus in on is, mm-hmm. is how people are misinterpreting uh, his attempts to uh, be a faithful Christian. And they're often taking it, it seems to me, and to you, Mark, uh, as as he's he's a crazy fundamentalist and that is the approach of some people in our culture today is that anyone who's trying to live their life in accordance with scripture and even using that kind of language sounds like craziness a radical uh, yeah. yeah you sound yeah. like a, like a zealot as you said yeah. and so that is sort of one one approach uh and and for some for some people they see it's just because they they don't understand christianity and so they are quick to interpret someone like uh, like Mike Johnson, who says, "Yeah, I want to live my life according to Scripture. I want to I want to have my biblical Christian ethics inform informing how I live and how I engage with my sphere mm-hmm. that I interact with." Uh, people would see that just because they don't know Christianity, they might see it in one way. Mm-hmm. It may also be the case that people are seeing Mike Johnson this way because they have a serious bone to pick with Christianity and they are deeply opposed to Christianity. Mm-hmm. Maybe in some deeper way they do understand what Christianity is all about, but they stand uh, 
hmm. as an antagonist against Christianity. And I think that that's, there's a division there between yeah. different cultural moods yep. when it comes to the Christian faith. Uh, we could sort of think about what are the cultural opinions of the Christian faith? Well, one of them, maybe that first one that I've mentioned is kind of like it's grandma's religion. You yeah. know, it's that yeah. sentimental, like you said, go to church on Christmas, maybe go to church, maybe on Easter. You have the cute uh, kids program. Yeah. Yep. You have the cute kids program. Your yep. kids will go to, uh, you see a lot of this sort of thing, uh, in country music and in <laughs> that sort of Southern culture. Uh, it's country music makes lots of references to church and Jesus and Sunday and Sunday. Yep. Yeah. And, and those sorts of things, the preacher man, uh, but it's it's more mostly it's, it's not that most country music artists are serious Christian believers who are faithfully uh, committed to a community of believers themselves. It's just that it's the thing that they remember growing up with that was kind of part of their Southern culture and identity. But this is true not just of the South; it's true for so many people in just the broader Western world: the United States, Canada, uh, England, and Europe and so on and so forth. Uh, so it's a quaint, quaint and cute grandma religion, but it's fundamentally outdated. It's behind the times and it's therefore flawed and kind of c- can be discarded without much thought. That's one approach. This other more antagonistic approach would sort of see Christianity as a major obstacle to cultural progress, to what these people would define as uh, human flourishing. And so these types of persons with this outlook uh, would be opposed to Christianity on all fronts. This makes me think back of the history of Christianity's place. And I'm teaching church history to our adult Sunday school. Uh, And we've been looking at in the last couple of weeks about the enlightenment and the sort of Mm -hmm. post enlightenment world and how Christianity really began to fall out of public favor Um, especially amongst the intellectual elites at the beginning. And then throughout the 19th century, it really fell on hard times. And that was certainly the case uh, of the 20th century and even still. So we're living in a time where Christianity has begun to shift uh, and it's moving rapidly out of favor. And in the French Revolution, one of the things we sort of zeroed in on in in our conversation this last week was how much the French Revolution represented a serious uh, all-out war between uh, progress and democracy as a sort of religion of its own. Yeah, secular progress against the church or any form of Christianity. Uh, The French Revolution was very clearly against, uh, against both the Catholic Church in France and against the the French Protestant or the Huguenot church Mm -hmm. in France as well. And we sort of see this still today. It it still is working its way through our culture. There is a stark uh, opposition to Christianity. Another mood we might say, which is something that kind of can change, I think the, the trajectory of our conversation here is that Christianity is more and more being seen as a useful tool for preserving the better parts of Western culture, mm-hmm. whether or not it is true. This would be the sort of uh, Jordan Peterson types, the intellectual dark web, a lot of whom are not Christians, uh, but actually see that Christianity 
has been influential in creating the world that we so enjoy and benefit from. So this would be Tom Holland here. Uh, And so if you're interested in that sort of uh, thinking, which I think is is interesting, I just read Dominion, his book. It's a great book. Uh, an amazing book. It's an amazing <laughs> sort of take on yeah. on how the world is the way that it is and how Christianity is a part of that story. Uh, and it's almost a church history uh, Very volume. Yeah. Uh, and so I've, I've used it a little bit in my class that I've been teaching. And so it's a great book from someone who is himself not a Christian, as far as I know. Uh, yeah, he was far less... Uh, He's a, prone he's a lot, towards Christianity when he started the book yes. and when he finished it. He so, was like, wow, there's some really good stuff in this. Faith. Yeah. By One of his major it. points to sort of summarize for those who are unaware of it is he basically argues that Western people are ethically and morally Christian without knowing it. They're not spiritually or or doctrinally, theologically yeah, or yeah. doctrinally Christian. They would Many people re- reject that there's a God, uh, but our sort of moral vision for the world is very deeply Christian. Uh, Sometimes there's uh, twists and turns along the way of our morals, but it's still informed by some sort of basic Christian framework, Mm. uh, which I think is really undeniable. Uh, I I think it's a great book and I would recommend it, but that is one view. It's kind of a, uh, it's a useful tool Christianity, Mm -hmm. but ultimately I don't really need to buy into it all that much. And then more recently, there's been an interesting development with the conversion of Ayan Hirsi Ali, uh, who was a famous Muslim turned atheist, now turned Christian, uh, with a uh, now sort of very popular and well-read conversion account on why I am now a Christian, is what the essay is called. Uh, Yeah, her first big book was called Infidel, about leaving the Muslim faith. Yeah, yeah. It's a good bit of background and so she essentially her, her her story as i took it was that given all of the the threats to western culture which she has now come to so appreciate and love as a sort of bulwark against uh the uh, islamic religion and cultures that have been created from it but also from the sort of uh, acidic uh destructive progressivism that she has been sort of seeing all around her. She sees Christianity as the real way out. Mm. It's the real uh, sort of last stand, you might say, against all of these things. And so she is a Christian. She realizes that you can't just appreciate the Christian faith for what it's done, but you actually must uh, subscribe to its its transcendent view of God and his creation and, and all of the sort of spiritual or doctrinal elements of it. Uh, but really it still seems, and this isn't meant to be me bashing on her. I'm, I'm happy to hear her story. I think it's something to celebrate, uh, but it seems that Christianity is still sort of a tool in mm. protecting something. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it, and it's, I think that it is. I think that there's some <laughs> yeah. definite truth to that. Christianity does preserve, I think, what is true and good and beautiful about Western culture, uh, but it still, I think, speaks a word of prophetic judgment over it and critique. Western culture is by no means perfect. Uh, in many ways, it's deeply flawed. Uh, you could say that Christianity still has a long way to go in mm. in sanctifying our culture, Uh 
Maybe that's a bold statement even in and of itself. But these are sort of major cultural opinions, and I think it's helpful to think about people people sort of subscribing to these different views of Christianity as we seek to engage and understand our culture. I think in many ways, going back to our conversation about the Christmas hymns that we hear, our culture is still, whether it likes it or not, deeply haunted by the ghost of Christianity. Uh, It's something that sort of spooks them. It seems outdated and and it's not here anymore, but it still comes back from time to time and breaks into people's mind. I think uh, there's an interesting quote that I found in Jamie Smith's book, How Not to Be Secular, hmm. uh, where he quotes from some atheist um, author or poet, I don't remember who, and I don't have it here in front of me, but the quote is something like, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. I think that's a profound quote. I think our culture in many ways Mm. does miss God. Uh, There are people who are very, very adamantly opposed, and maybe they would never admit such a thing. Uh, And I would believe them. Uh, I don't think that they're wrong for saying, I don't miss God. Uh, They know what they believe. But I think there are many people that live their life with no reference to, to God, to the transcendent Lord of all creation who has come to us in Christ to die and to be raised for us. Uh, But I think that people are still haunted by the fact that life has more meaning than what they're told by secularism, that human value is far more uh, uh, high and important than what we're often led to believe. Uh, And I don't think people just think life is about uh, the nine to five and living for the weekend and having your drink after your work with, with buddies or whatever. I think people see through all of, all of that good as those small gifts are, um, friends and conversations and grabbing a drink with friends, all of those things are, they may have their place, but people see through this. And I think people are still able to think that there, there really is something more than all of what I'm being told and being led to believe by my culture, uh, what is this whole thing all about? Those kinds of questions, I think, still nag at people. And I think that that creates not just a little door. I think that creates a whole hmm. crevice of an opening hmm. for the Christian faith to speak loudly and profoundly to those deep longings of the human heart that still are there and cannot be disregarded. Yeah, uh, there's there are little bits of truth in each of these misconceptions of Christianity. I mean, uh, thinking again of like Mike Johnson as a Christian nationalist fundamentalist. Well, there are Christian nationalists out there. And, um, and so yeah. people would be rightly um, suspicious of anyone who would want to make Christianity the official religion of the United States or so forth, um, which, you know, Mike Johnson has said he does not want to do. And in one interview that I saw, um, mm-hmm. that's not his goal. And so there, there are, uh, there are little bits of truth to the worry or, or the concern or the misconception of what various people uh, mm. believe about Christianity. I mean, uh, your first example of how Christianity being quaint and cute and grandma's religion, well, there is a nostalgic appeal to Christianity. Yeah. And, and that's not all it is, of course, but um, it's, it is very appealing to connect to something mm-hmm. um, that's 
existed before our generation. Yeah. And, and maybe people are beginning to see that grandma had, had it going on. She actually <laughs> sure. knew what she was up to. Right. She may not have been the intellectual giant, but actually she lived with a lot of wisdom and her yeah. life actually went in a way that I admire. And or maybe there's something to it. Something as simple as a children's Christmas program, which just yeah. looks cute is forming these kids to be a part of a story that's mm-hmm. bigger than themselves. And, and, and so, um, that's, we don't have to run away from a description of Christianity as being, um, nostalgic. Uh, of course, that's not all it is. And it's so, so much more than that. But, um, I guess the, the reason that I would bring that up is to say, you know, sometimes we can use those misconceptions to direct people to what Christianity really is. Hmm. And, and we could, like what the Apostle Paul did in, in Athens, where he, he's walking around the city, he's seeing um, all these idols everywhere, he notices an idol to the unknown God, and, he, and that error he uses as a door, he sort of walks through that door to say, hey, I, I can explain to you mm-hmm. who that unknown God is, it's the Lord who had made the heavens and the earth, turn yeah. to him now, uh, you know, now is your chance to, to, to really know him, he, he's come... He's died for our sins, um, so so turn and believe on on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he he uses uh, people's current understanding um, as a, a little gateway into describing what the real thing is. And mm-hmm. that's that's kind of where I I wanted to go. You know, in in thinking of this episode, is not just to say like what a lot of Christians do. They they stand back and say hey, that's a wrong understanding of Christianity. It's so much more. And then that's mm-hmm. about as far as it goes in their engagement with it. Um, why not Why not use the little bit of truth? Uh, again, think of mm-hmm. um, uh, the Church 2 movement. Uh, this is where yeah. uh, people were had abusive situations or there was power misused over them in a church scenario. Um, rather than getting our, our backs up and getting so defensive about that and saying, mm-hmm. my church isn't like that, which is true. I, I don't think our church is an abusive place yeah, to not be. That I know of. <laughs> um, but, but rather than just being so defensive, maybe the Christian can come and say, that is really terrible that that happened in a church in mm-hmm. the name of God. It's blasphemous against God's name. The Heidelberg Catechism says there's no sin greater than mm-hmm. blaspheming God's name because it's an attack on who God is or what a church should be. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, that that attitude towards the church which started as negative i think the christian can learn to to turn to a positive and saying mm-hmm. i agree that catholic children it's terrible and and so it, it's so offensive to us as christians that that was happening in a church mm-hmm. rather like what the world expects is for us to double down and and defend ourselves yeah and then they'll yeah. keep doubling down and saying no that was a really bad thing that happened um believers um we, we need to approach people with the truth of, of yeah. Scripture um, and, and say, I, I want to get to the truth, too, and I want justice to be done in this world. And, and God is a God of justice who will judge the living and the dead. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, that's a little bit of a, of a tangent maybe down one way. But, but I think, mm. um, so you, you talked about the first two cultural opinions. First is that Christianity is quaint, and it's grandma's religion. Second, that Christianity is an obstacle to cultural progress. Mm-hmm. I think those are simultaneously both true, that, that many non-believing people want point, yeah. Christianity to be that nostalgic thing, that it doesn't get in my way. Yeah. And when it becomes 
a progress to what I or an impediment to what I think would be progress, then you must be a fanatic. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you've you've got to be. I mean, there's no place for that in our culture, as some things people say sometimes. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that both could be very simultaneously <laughs> true. Um, and uh, again, as Christians, we need to be aware of how how to to think about that, um, how to to talk about. Hey, I want progress too for our culture. Yeah. And, and so when somebody says Christianity is an impediment to the progress of our culture. The, the, again, the reaction could be defensiveness. No, mm-hmm. it's not. Mm-hmm. How about how about we actually agree that um, there yeah. are impediments to the progress of our culture, and as Christians, we have the Bible telling us what the direction our culture should go is, and mm-hmm. I want us to, to be a progressive religion in that sense, where mm-hmm. um, we're, we're moving forward into truth and um believing the revelation that God has given us in the word and in nature as well. Um, rather than always making it the zero-sum game of yeah, I've got to win and you've got to lose. It's like last week's episode. Like yeah, we're just um, negative. We're just going against what the progressives yeah. want to do. Well, n- actually, no. And we should be able to see their good intentions, flawed as we may think that their their ideas are and their their approach maybe yeah we should see that yeah they, they do want to make the world a better place the question is what is a better yep. place yep where do we get those sort of measurements for what is considered to be good or better than things are currently and how do we actually move towards making things better those are the, the questions we disagree on but we must have those conversations and we must do so in good faith yep. and i would encourage people to say if somebody speaks with a full-blooded opposition to Christianity. They just hate Christians. They hate Christianity. They hate the church. Maybe they have really bad experiences with it, and those may be very legitimate bad experiences. Yeah, as you said, Mark, don't don't just stick up and stand up to fight and to argue with them. Yeah, I think it's there's a place to be to be meek, but to be resilient and strong also. Uh, To be gentle with these people, understanding of them. But trying to find common ground as some, as you're able to, uh, and to seek peace, uh, not just compromise, but, but genuine friendship with these kinds of mm-hmm. people, and to have those kinds of conversations over the course of time. Uh, yeah. They must see that you are not just there to fight them. That, yeah. you, that you, they are not your opposition. Uh, Christians can never see flesh and blood as opposition. That's not what we fight. Uh, we fight a spiritual battle that takes place on a different plane, you might say. And so we need to keep those things in mind as we seek for true progress in our culture and in our world. Yeah. Uh, when you think of the leading agnostic atheist voices, Bart Ehrman had a terrible experience in church. Um, mm-hmm. Richard Dawkins had a terrible experience in church. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, those are probably the two most powerful uh, and convincing people in literature and debates and so forth right now pulling people away from the church yeah and and so if somebody if if you listener know somebody like that who has had a really bad church experience um, the approach to that person might be that was bad that that happened to you in a church Mm -hmm. i agree that somebody mistreated you uh, that an injustice was done that somebody was um, way too dogmatic about worship style or something. I know Bart, part of Bart Ehrman's story is that he was very much in the evangelical sort of fundamentalist, the, the truly fundamentalist mm-hmm. culture, and there was 
some question about uh, creation or science and so forth. And people jumped all over him so fast because he had some questions about these things. And um, it, that just pushed him away, mm-hmm. uh, further and further away from the gospel, from believing that God's word is true. And so rather than just sort of attacking the guy to say, God, no, God's word is true, mm-hmm. um, it could be helpful in our approach to say, man, I'm with you that, that it's really bad that that happened because Jesus is a good savior and mm-hmm. God is a good God and science is a good thing. And, mm-hmm. um, and so n- not going so far as to just commiserate with, with somebody like the church Two movement sort of went off that yeah. track in a lot of ways That's where a good point. Um, there's, there's it, a, there's a, there's a, a far limit to this. Yeah. Like uh, commi- we can't go further. Pure commiseration is yeah. actually not going to be constructive in pulling people towards the truth. But um, some level of empathy and sympathy for Absolutely, what somebody's experienced yeah. in the church is, is probably part of what uh, what somebody what the Lord could use to draw somebody to Himself, and that's why I bring up the example of the Apostle Paul, where Paul does a kind of a theologically dangerous thing hmm. by um, recognizing that these people have been worshiping this this false god, who's mm-hmm. not really a god at all, but but very quickly turning that to who the real God is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose I just would want to encourage as yeah, a he pastor. Finds, he finds the vulnerability, he right. might say. Yeah, so he, he brings he's, it all not, down. He's, he's never saying anything untrue, but he's looking for that window where yeah. he can he can go through and, and, and he can you know, pull somebody towards what the truth really is. Um, you know, Another example of this, I, we talked last podcast about um, the Meet, a, Meet an African Pastor podcast, and there's the mm-hmm. one on evangelism, and this guy who goes door-to-door in Africa um, he says that as he goes up to people's house, sometimes he just compliments their house. And hmm. he talks about, I like the color of your house, or it looks like the roof um, would really hmm. hold up with a good rainstorm. And um, and, and they get talking on a, a personal level, and it, it's, not, it's not manipulative, it's honest, that he says honest things. Um, and, and the purpose is always to get to the gospel, uh, and sometimes people don't respond very well to that, and other times they are sort of warmed up to to listen to this man by uh, a loving conversation. So um, recognizing that people are very confused about Christianity, I do think Christians can take that approach more often, which mm-hmm. would be a warm, relational approach where uh, we we recognize that somebody has a hobby that's interesting or... Uh, we recognize that somebody has a gift and we compliment them and people respond well to compliments and mm-hmm. it's not manipulative. It's just to say, um, here's the thing I notice in you that I think is neat. Um, and, uh, hopefully eventually uh, the, the goal of the relationship is to move it towards, um, presenting Christ so that somebody might believe and be born again. Um, but, uh, I think we as Christians have mm-hmm. work to do in our relationships um, not so much thinking of culture as the enemy or a person, certainly yeah. as an enemy, but to see them as one made in God's image. And uh, we have an agenda when we approach people. Mm-hmm. This was a big thing in about early 2000s evangelism. Have yeah. no agenda when you're yeah. talking with somebody. No, as, as Christians, we very much have an agenda. We don't get to not um, have an agenda. Yeah. Of, we of don't have the freedom. Preaching the gospel at all times. We and are ambassadors. That means there's an agenda yeah. and it's set by the king. Ambassadors of reconciliation, right? We were presenting them with this amazing opportunity and gift. And so 
so to, to approach them with that agenda, but to do so warmly, I guess, is, mm-hmm. is the point that I want to make. Yeah, and to use those those sort of bridges between you and them where you both want to construct something positive together. But I think what Christianity can offer, uh, e- even like in the conversation about church too, Christianity actually offers deeper resources for why sexual abuse in churches is so disastrous and wicked and evil and blasphemous. Uh, It's not just bad because it hurts another human being who was a conglomeration of of molecules all bouncing off each other in in this skin bag. No, actually, we are humans created in the image of God, and to do this to another human being is to so dishonor God by marring the image of God that it is a spiritual blasphemy. And so we should agree with them and actually show them that, yes, in your frustration, your pain, your your rage against this, the Christian faith actually gives you resources to fight against this sort of evil, heinous mm-hmm. thing in our world. And so we should be, in many ways, jumping to to join in, in those kinds of fights while recognizing also that sometimes the Church Two movement, and I think in, in a lot of ways, was openly just trying to push against the church, the church's integrity. And so we have to be aware of that as well. The church to movement was not just a pure movement of, of talking about our pain. In many ways, it was motivated by an anti-Christ sort of mm-hmm. spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that we can be honest about. But back to your point about apologetics and evangelism, I think that maybe we could wrap up here mm-hmm. with kind of how do we maneuver then in, in the ways ahead or the years ahead and I, I think that and I've told my adult Sunday school class this I've told the students this apologetics in the sort of 19 or the sort of 20th century sense that we have come to know just sort of making basic cases and arguments for the for for Christ and for God and for the resurrection and so on those are all good we should learn those kinds of of cases and defenses of the gospel and legitimacy of scripture and all of that. That is great. And we should continue doing that. Uh, But in many ways, the apologetic method now is not so much a truth apologetic as it is a goodness apologetic. Christianity's goodness needs to be uh, shown. It needs to be uh, modeled. It needs to be uh, made real in people's lives and so our lives are an apologetic how we live is an apologetic how we treat people is an apologetic in many ways as our, as our culture shifts into more of a broadly negative approach towards christianity yeah and, that, uh, and that's especially true in suffering and so when a christian yeah. is suffering whether that's sitting in a hospital bed yeah that or, can poke um, holes in people's worldviews you know a, a christian gets laid off with a whole bunch of other people how you function while you're getting laid off uh or, or fired or whatever hmm. is going to prove if christianity is truly good and gives peace mm-hmm. or if it's actually you're no different than those non-believing people who just yeah. got laid off and so um th- that takes you're it angry takes, and bitter and you're speaking profanities about your boss right. your ex-boss yep and and so that's hard um it's a little it's much easier to say uh kind of argue with somebody about uh, the historicity mm-hmm. of the resurrection um but it's yeah. it's much um it's much more difficult in a lot of cases to uh trust in God through suffering 
And, um, you know, and hopefully the nurse who is in the hospital, who goes from bed to bed and sees those, those people who were praying seem really different and seem full of peace and hope. Um, and that's so different than the other person who's grumpy and, um, just giving up. Uh, and Mm -hmm. so that, you know, I suppose it's not the most hopeful note to leave on, but I, I do think that the, the Bible is clear. Uh, I mean, the Apostle Paul, again, to, to use him as an example, proved the genuineness of his faith through suffering, yeah. um, by suffering for Christ. He talks about the, the big list in Second Corinthians. I've shipwrecked and mm-hmm. um, been beaten, left for dead, you know, stoned, yeah, imprisoned. Um, run out of town, imprisoned several times, and just about every place he went, he was imprisoned. And so when, when this is happening, like in Ephesians, or in Ephesus with the, the jailer who had seen him mm-hmm. singing songs with Silas in prison, that prepared that jailer to listen to Paul's message when, um, when he had the opportunity to share the gospel with him. So, mm-hmm. um, so rather than just, you know, we talk about the, the, the double ditch. The double ditch on one side is just be nice and never share the gospel. Mm-hmm. The, the ditch on the other side is um, just to get so focused on, on truth claims that relationship really doesn't even matter with a person. Yeah. So we want to be in the middle there um, in this culture where uh, people are desperate for a relationship and they're desperate for truth, and in the church they can find both. Yeah, and so we hope that this has been a helpful conversation for you as, as always, and as you're uh, celebrating the Advent season, maybe our reflections on Christmas hymns and Delilah has been <laughs> a fun thing to think about, but... Yeah, how does the church fit into the broader culture today, and how are we viewed, and how does this affect where we go, and how the church engages with those around us? These are questions that are perennial questions for Christians, things we must always keep in our minds as we interact with friends and family and neighbors who do not know the Lord. And so, yeah, keep all of this in mind. We Again, we hope it's been an encouragement to you, and we look forward to uh, being with you guys next week. All right, see you. Merry Christmas, guys. Yes. <laughs> Goodbye.